Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Today on Barca Talk. Lionel Messi and company are on to the Champions League semifinal, having dispatched Manchester United 4-0 on aggregate. They'll face Liverpool FC in the semifinal tie. FC Barcelona is also one step closer to clinching La Liga, winning match day 33 against Real Sociedad 2-1 with goals from two of our defenders. The Barca women's team are in the thick of Champions League action too, having started the semifinal tie against Bayern Munich on Sunday with a 1-0 win on the road. First, some news. La Liga is celebrating its 90th anniversary with a 12-episode documentary series called 90 Years of Stories That Made History. The episodes will feature players, coaches, clubs, referees, and historic landmarks that have made La Liga one of the best leagues in the world. The series will release one episode per month and will be available on La Liga Sports TV, Goal, Be in La Liga, and La Liga TV, most of which are only available in Spain. Of course, anyone with enough motivation will most likely be able to watch the series. In a recent profile by Sports Illustrated, Sergio Busquets said he was open to an eventual move to the MLS. He said, You can't obviously predict the future, but I am a fan of the United States, and soccer over there continues to grow. The competitive style and playoff format is different to what we have here, and that really appeals to me. For now, Busquets is focused on his work at Barcelona, of course, but we might one day see him in an MLS kit. FC Barcelona will tour Japan next summer in their preseason friendlies under the auspices of the Rakuten Cup. The club have confirmed that they'll play Chelsea on this tour, as well as Vissel Kobe, the current club of former Barca players Andres Iniesta and David Villa. And after Philippe Coutinho's goal in the Champions League quarterfinal match against Manchester United, he celebrated by plugging his ears and closing his eyes while facing the cheering crowd. When he came on in the weekend match against Real Sociedad, he was whistled by some fans who felt slighted by the goal celebration. Coutinho has commented on what he meant by the gesture, saying, We should never listen to people that demotivate us because their words only serve to steer us away from what we should be focusing on. He has received a lot of criticism for his form this year, including on this show, and this is how he is dealing with that. When asked about the gesture ahead of the Real Sociedad match, Barcelona manager Ernesto Valverde said, I'm surprised we're talking about Coutinho's celebration more than his goal. And we'll have more on that in a moment. All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson coming to you from Buffalo, New York. And joining me as always is Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are you doing, buddy? We don't want to get into that. <laughs> Let's just not get into that. 
All right. All right. <laughs> we were talking before we started recording, as we often do. You know, we like to sort of warm up. We do our vocal sure. warm ups, you know, la 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 la, <laughs> so that we can get our voices in in good condition for the show. And I was telling you all about my my current woes. Um, and it's really not that important, you know, everything could be a whole lot worse in life. So, <laughs> so let's true. just, but, but I'm also not feeling great right now. Things, yeah. things aren't fantastic. So yeah, let's just leave that to the side. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Just, uh, enjoying a little nice Semana Santa vacation here. Everyone is coming back from their, uh, week long weekend, essentially, so Madrid is starting to fill in, but uh, yeah, just just chilling. It's been raining a lot here this past week, so it's been a lot of movies this past week and a lot of series. So, oh yeah, yeah. So I because you I haven't mean, had I, much to do, or not many places have been open. Both. <laughs> and all your friends you know, are out of town, and all my friends are out of town. Um, you know, everything on my street is essentially closed. So it was basically just go to the grocery store, stock up. And just stock up on movies as well. So <laughs> I basically, I have one movie recommendation. Oh. I watched a sports documentary last night on Vince Carter, the basketball player. It was pretty good about how he brought basketball to Toronto and Canada. So I love sports docs. They're, they're just so much fun, especially when they do like, you know, basically the point of view of the protagonist uh, talking about a specific time or era in a sports in a city, you know? Yeah. And so it was really cool. So. Yeah, I like good sports documentaries. And, like, the whole 30 for 30 series is really yeah. good, of course. And uh, I've been watching a lot of Formula One documentaries lately. Mm-hmm. Netflix has this uh, fairly new series called Drive to Survive about Formula One. And it just covers pretty much the whole season from last year. Formula <laughs> One is weird, man. It's super weird and crazy. <laughs> I know. Well, just, like, the the level of money involved is yeah. is one thing. That's one part of the story. But another big or strange part of the story for me is that they is that the circuit or the tour, I guess, goes all around the world and there will yeah. be one Formula One race in all of the United States in a year or all of England where Formula One started. So they come to Silverstone and that's it. And if your team that you support is based in England, they're like your home team. But they mm-hmm. only come and play a home game, quote unquote, once in a season when they come to Silverstone, you know, and then the rest of the year they're in Barcelona, they're in Australia, they're in Bahrain, they're yeah. in Qatar, yeah. Singapore. It's a really bizarre and I mean, it's just it's the kind of sport that just is like the exact opposite of football. You know, it's more on on par with I don't know, uh, with like yachting, you know, yacht yes. racing. You hit, you hit it on the head. Yeah, it's just like for it's a sport for the rich. It's yeah, the very much rich. for the well, the super rich. If uh, you want to be in it, and even if you want to go to like if you want to go to Monaco and watch that, the Monaco Grand Prix, which is a big deal, mm-hmm. it, you have to be a rich person or James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm never gonna go to that. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I'm not sure if I want to. But I kind of want to. Yeah. So that's where I'm at in life. I got you. <laughs> no, but you hit it on the head, man. It's like super rich. Like it's the money involved is crazy. And then also in the travel, how they go to each country for a different race is crazy. Yeah. What I, 
when I went to Monaco, <laughs> Brian, I went to Monaco. You went to Monaco? I went to Monaco. But just on a regular weekend, not on Grand yeah, Prix they, weekend. They just had the Grand Prix the, Grand Prix the week before. Was the were the streets still all set up for yeah, it, the, and they were tearing yeah, it down? Yeah, the fences were all up and stuff, and it was pretty crazy just to see because Monaco has a lot of hills, and it's just crazy to think these guys are going so fast up these hills, down these hills, around the curves, and so forth. And yeah, it's it's a like you said, it's a super rich elite sport, just like yachting. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Apparently, though, it, the track is so narrow that if you can essentially if you can get out front and just more or less maintain your position, you can win. You you don't have to necessarily be the fastest guy out there. If you can just get in front and be a good driver and keep people from overtaking you, which isn't that hard because it's so narrow, you can win that race. And what's funny about it is that's because it's the oldest race in the uh, whatever, in the competition, the tournament, as it were. You can, you can win this really high-profile race by just getting out in front and driving well. Yeah. You know, you don't have to drive amazing. You can just drive well. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of movies about this too. Right. So there's a lot of good movies. Again, it's just compelling because like basically anyone can drive, right? So that's why it's easy to kind of put yourself in that situation, right? I mean, it's not like when you're t- talking about football, it's not your physical, you know, abilities. In a car, you know, obviously there is some talent to driving, but most people can do it, you know? <laughs> I don't know, man. You should come to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, no, there are bad drivers everywhere. I don't want to, yeah. I don't, I certainly don't want to single out Buffalo. There are bad drivers everywhere, but I mean, the, the level at which these guys are driving is really incredible. And that, sure, especially sure. at those speeds and you have to yeah. be really in shape to keep that, that machine and that kind of power under control. Sure. So like at that level, it is, it is really hard, but I see what you mean in that anyone, everyone knows how to drive mostly. And they know the basic concept of it. So it's something that you can very easily relate with. Correct. That's what I was, that's what I was going for. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in the F1 cars, the way they, you know, shift the cars are all on the, on the handle, which is crazy, you know? Yeah, with the flappy paddles. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. One day, anyway. one day, we'll each have our own Ferrari with the flappy paddles <laughs> supercar because, because of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how this is going to go. <laughs> but anyway, we were let's um let's shift to talking about FC Barcelona and a sport that we all we all relate to, which yeah. is football, proper football. And we mentioned this uh this was kind of the um this was the thing that kept coming up over the weekend while I was watching La Liga and it's been uh it's, it's cropped up in the news a couple of times in press conferences and in uh, commentators blogs and columns and whatnot talking about this Coutinho goal celebration in the uh, Champions League quarterfinal against Manchester United we got some responses about it on our Patreon page and it's just so I I feel like it's the thing that we need to discuss at least on some level so he, he he scores the goal third goal in the game it was a very good goal it was an excellent goal in fact and it put Barcelona up three nothing we ultimately won the tie and he he does this celebration where he closes his eyes and plugs his ears and he's essentially saying you know i'm not listening to the haters <laughs> i'm just trying to focus on my thing which is something i completely understand you know he's he has his own things to worry about he's trying to do his best he's, he knows he's not having a great season and he also knows that if he pays too much attention to 
the criticism, that's not going to be good for him. So I get all that. But, of course, in response to that, then on Saturday, he comes on for the last 20 minutes against Real Sociedad. He gets whistled at. When he comes on, he gets whistled at every time he touches the ball. Not by everyone, by any stretch, but enough that it was noticeable. So what 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 say you, Gabriel? I mean, we've been talking about this all season, about, you know, when he plays lately, it just seems as though we're playing with 10 as opposed to 11 just because of the lack of dynamic attacking that he provides. Now, obviously, in the Manchester United game, he did have a really excellent goal, and so he finally broke out of that funk. But, you know, there's a lot of things to unpack here because, you know, with that gesture, like you said, it's for me, it was just kind of talking back to the fans that he's not listening to anything. He did an interview, I think, on Thursday or Friday here, and he was basically – his reasoning for it was say that he's not – uh, going to listen to the noise and he's just going to stay focused. That's why he did it, right? Sure. But the other thing he did after the gesture, he he had a a saying that he screamed, essentially. Oh. And he said, "Yeah." And he said, "I'm going to say it in Spanish: Tomor por culo," which means "Go f yourself." Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, you can say all that, but what's caught on video is a different story. You know, it's more about you know, don't whistle at me. I'm trying. That's the kind of thing. So. I've talked about my predictions last year, you know, especially last year, he had eight, you know, goals in the half of a season, you know, so we were expecting big things this full season. I went on another podcast, Canary in Blue, and they were asking me my predictions for Coutinho this year. And I said he was going to score more than 20 goals. That's what I thought. Yeah, we really thought he was just going to light things up. Exactly. And it hasn't come to fruition the other thing, too, is, you know, I don't know how much of it is his fault or Valverde's fault of not putting him in the best position to succeed. Right. That does seem to be the thing. In fact, I mean, and actually, I saw something on Reddit. I'm trying to find it right now, and I can't I can't quite find it. But uh, I saw something on Reddit that said uh, it had some really impressive stat about him as a midfielder. It's like, you know, he's the most successful midfielder at this particular thing and it wasn't like a a tiny obscure stat it was something that you know a a a pretty fair way to measure a midfielder and it's you know Coutinho has this stat as a as a midfielder he's the most successful um, midfielder at this thing whatever it is and I thought yeah that's great except that he's not played as a midfielder he's playing as a forward and that seems to be the disconnect all year long is he a midfielder or is he a winger, you know, in a forward position? Valverde keeps putting him in as a forward, as a, mostly on the left wing. But if he were to just be dropped back into the midfield and someone else were in the three-man front line, would things be better? But there's, again, the main thing is that no one can seem to agree on what his actual position is in a more general sense, you know, what part of the formation is he really a part of? Yeah. You have a good point. The other thing too, is like, for example, just as a microcosm of his season, you know, last night before he comes into the match against Sociedad, Valverde spent between five and eight minutes talking to him before he went into the match. Now, God knows what that's going on, you know, just telling him so many things like that seems like a lot. It does. Right. And they, they even timed it here. That's what I love about the sports show here, because it's like, hyper-focused on the teams and, you know, things that you just don't even see watching the match, you know? Yeah. And they timed it. They timed it. It was like five to seven minutes and it was crazy. He's just like talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. So again, 
I don't know if Valverde is just filling his head with don'ts. Right. You know what I'm saying? That'd like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. <laughs> you know, don't have fun. Don't laugh. Right. And so I, and you know, after I saw that video, I was like, okay, I get this. You know, it's, it's a mixture of both obviously. Right. Because Coutinho is not able to play as free as he wants because he has to stay in the discipline of Valverde because if he doesn't, he's not going to get playing time. Right. Right. But like I just told you, when you get told don't so much, you're just, you start to think the opposite, right? You just don't want to screw up as opposed to doing well. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, to be fair, I, we don't know what he was actually telling him in that time, but whether it was all a bunch of don'ts or even if it was all a bunch of do's, that's an awful lot to put on a player right as he's about to go on in the middle of a game. It's just too much. You, well, let me ask you this. For what we know as Valverde as a coach for the last two years, imagine he's a dad. <laughs> don't you think it, don't you think it follows his MO as a don't? kind of dad he seems like a don't kind of dad yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i know i know we don't know but obviously because i covered their mouths and so forth but again and that's a valver don't (laughs) that's not a valver do that's a valver don't (laughs) i feel a t-shirt coming on (laughs) val don't No, I mean, this is the thing, you know, we know, and I guess this is also the frustrating part is because we saw glimpses of his brilliance last season in such a short time, you know, it took him a couple matches and he really had a good output last season and just the La Liga matches. Again, I think it's really just a mixture of Valverde not putting him in the right position, letting Messi to continue to dominate the middle and the, the left side, because imagine if Messi was more disciplined on the right side. Right, Just, exactly. You know, for example, right? Then all of a sudden, then Coutinho is going to have more opportunities to score and cut in, which he does, you know? The other thing, too, is like, I don't know if Valverde has told him not to shoot either, you know? Maybe he's more emphasizing to keep possession rather than to lose the ball or take a shot. Because as we've seen, like, for example, in the Man U game, he had one shot, one goal, right? Yeah. And that's an awesome success rate. And we would take that all the time, but he never shoots the ball, you know? And that's where the disconnect, as you said, from being a forward to a midfield, because a forward's always going to take lots of shots. It's all about a numbers game more than anything, you know? Again, I just think it's a mixture of things. It's really sad because, you know, he is a good player. He's not going anywhere. He's going to continue. I mean, obviously with Dembele's uh, injury history, he's really important to have as a backup, but I just want more aggressiveness. I mean, when I think of Brazilian attacking, I don't think back passing. No. No. And that's what Coutinho is specializing right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. He's playing like a midfielder, but in the forward line. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that there is a disconnect there, and it's not, it's not serving him well. It's not serving the team well. But I want to go back to the point you made about Messi, because you, you've made this point before about how Messi is, well, it's difficult, it's, or it seems difficult for Valverde to, to handle the the messy question right because he's so brilliant and so incredible that you want to and he's the captain you want to just let him run free but in so doing you you wind up uh really painting Coutinho into a bit of a corner and you could try to encourage Coutinho to be more of a winger but it, it doesn't seem like that's where the encouragement is going maybe like maybe Coutinho never run goes down all the way to the touchline because He's been told not to, or, or even, even if it's just because he doesn't feel like he can win those. 
Sure. Like he's if he's just not confident that he can win such a thing, you know, then he's not going to do it. In which case, he really probably shouldn't be playing on the wing. I mean, that's where it goes to the whole formation thing. You know, it, it's the yin and the yang. Do you want Messi to play, make, and be all over the park? Great. But you have to have discipline all over the place. And, you know, since we don't, you know, since Valverde lets him roam everywhere, it's really screwing up Coutinho. And Coutinho has not found the counter to that in, inside move. And that's another problem because you see it, you know, week in and week out, how many times is he actually able to get a shot off? Not very often because everyone has the playbook on him. And also because Messi's in the middle, you have three defenders. Again, I just, you know, we've talked about the different formations that could work. I think better, you know, like a 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1, something like this. If you're going to use the 4-3-3, that's fine. But, you know, for me, I would, I personally, if I were the coach, I would put Messi more on the right and limit his ability to go through the middle because I think more often than not lately, Yes, he continues to score goals and play make, but I think that we are lacking on the right side and it's quote unquote hurting others from helping the team in scoring and so forth. Right. And we talked a lot about how Coutinho tends to get in Messi's way, but the, the reverse is also true. Is that Correct. you know, Messi is taking up so much space coming in from the right or just staying in the middle and then always working to his left that he he leaves Coutinho with few options. Sure. I mean, just think about, you know, maybe six or seven years ago when Messi was strictly on the right side. And when he cut in, he would have more real estate to get a shot off because he kept moving in because he started all the way from the right. Now he's starting more about the right mid. And so when he's doing that move, he runs out of real estate, brings all that defense. You know, obviously, this is more often than not. I mean, he's still able to get a shot off and do great things. But I think Again, just make it easier, as we've talked about. There's other things. For me, I just clearly see it, that it could be much easier. We could win games 3 nothing, and not try as hard. I just think that's always going to be an easier thing than winning 2-1 or one nothing with my tie getting loose, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the loose tie. The loose tie. That's always the dead giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. Get your Barca Talk merchandise on our Etsy store. We have a bunch of t-shirt designs, including the We Have Messy You Don't t-shirt and the beautiful Barca Talk coffee mug. Go to barcetalk.net to get that. FC Barcelona Femini have been on a winning spree since late February. Though they were knocked out of the Copa de la Reina by Atletico Madrid, they are still in the Women's Champions League, while Atletico are not. And the race for the Liga Iberdrola Championship remains very tight. Should Atletico lose to Espanyol on Monday, Barcelona will top the league table. Here now with a full report is Michelle Taylor. After the Champions League win against LSK Gavina, the team's concentration turned back to La Liga. Away against Lagronio was the last match in March. Nerves were settled very early into the game, when Lika Martin smacked the ball into the net in the third minute. A second goal quickly followed in the fifth, when Aitana Bomati scored, and Mariano Caldente added a third just before half-time. Ten minutes into the second half, Alexia added the fourth. Barca then took the foot off the pedal and played the game out for a 4-0 win. That brought a highly successful month to a close. Six games and six wins. In the Liga, Barca won against Atleti, Real Sociedad, Valencia and Logroño, and in Champions League there were two victories against LSK. Despite the slip-ups to Atleti in the Copa del Reina and the Liga loss to Sporting Huelva, the team looks greatly improved with US Cortes in charge. 
I've often commented that most of the frailties within the team are psychological, and this is definitely an area in which the team looks much better. Cortez has instilled a resolve in the players that hasn't been there before, and there's a visible team spirit which used to be somewhat restrained and subdued. The players are now showing their emotions in a good way. They celebrate the heck out of goals. There's a lot of talking going on between players on the pitch, and most importantly from the coaching bench, tactical changes are being made to address any problems on the pitch. In recent interviews, Liga Martins, Mappy Leon and Vicky Lasada have all referenced the change in atmosphere since the appointment of Cortez. The manager has worked with all the players, especially those who don't play that often, to ensure that all of them feel included and know that they are vital to the team. There's good spirit in the dressing room. So on to April and what a busy month it's been. The first two weeks were taken up with another international break and the team returned knowing that the next few weeks were going to be tough. Barca was rightly upset at the RFEF's lack of planning, in which it failed to account for the possibility of a Spanish club reaching the Champions League semi-final stage. Unlike the earlier rounds which are played midweek, the semis are always played over two consecutive weekends. The RFEF didn't take this into consideration when setting the calendar, which disrupted Barca and the two Liga teams that they were scheduled to play over those two weekends, Madrid CFF and Sevilla. A hurried reject of the games brings no joy to Barca, who now have to play five games in 15 days, including the two Champions League matches against Bayern Munich. The German team gets a full week's rest in between the two games, while Barca has to play midweek against Sevilla. The first of the five games in 15 days was last weekend at home to Malaga, who are bottom of the table. They took to the pitch determined to stop Barca from scoring, and their deep-set defence was largely successful until Mariano Caldente got the breakthrough goal in the 25th minute. But it took until the 56th minute to put the game to bed, after two quick goals in two minutes from Alexia Porteus and Tony Dugan. Marta Torohan added the fourth at minute 73, and a subdon Andres Alves scored a brace to seal the 6-0 win. Four days later, and the team was in Madrid to play Madrid CFF on a Wednesday evening. Madrid is also towards the bottom of the table, and it was obvious that this game would be no easy walkover. Then there was the dismal state of the pitch, a fast, hard municipal all-weather surface, with too much rubber crumb in it. Madrid almost scored first, but Sandra Padios came up with a worldly one-on-one save. That woke us up, and when Lika Martins received a through ball from defender Mel Serrano, she drove into the box fainted past a couple of defenders, and shot low into the net. It was only the 17th minute, but it felt as if the game had been going on for much longer. Aitana Bomati added an important second goal just before half-time, which gave us a good advantage. Alexia Poteus added two more in the second half, and we finished with a nice 4-0 win, and thankfully no injuries, which was a concern given the state of the pitch. Thoughts then turned to the first of the Champions League semi-final games, and the whole squad travelled to Munich, including Patrick Guajaro, Pamela Tahona and Azizat Hoshuala, who is still on the injury list. Juvenile cadet goalkeeper Laura Coronado also travelled with the team. Two hours before the game kicked off, Azizat Hoshuala received medical clearance from her hamstring injury and was named on the bench. The first half started at fast pace, with neither team prepared to be cautious. Haida Hamraoui rattled the crossbar, Vicky Lasada hit the post, and Tony Dugan missed a couple of close-range opportunities that she should have put away. Down the other end, Sandra Panios made a couple of great stops as Bayern looked for the fast counter-attacks, but half-time came with the score at nil-all, and Barca with 65% of the possession. 
The second half started like the first half ended, with Bayern Munich in a higher gear looking for an advantage, but gradually Barca began to regain control. Liga Martins, who had been kept quiet out wide on the left in the first half, started to make more of an impact, and she was first fouled outside the box for a free kick, and then fouled in the box, but the penalty wasn't given. Something that was talked about before the match was that Barca would attempt to retain possession of the ball, because without it, Bayern couldn't create anything. Of course, possession is nothing without intent, and finally in the 63rd minute can the Blagrana breakthrough. Haida Hamarawi had made her way forward to just outside the box. Mariona was hugging the right sideline, and she deftly juggled the ball around a couple of Munich defenders, before sliding a magnificent defence-splitting pass into Hamarawi, who drilled the ball across the goal and into the left of the net. Mad celebrations! The bench players and coaching staff drew lead on the side of the pitch, and the on-field players descended onto Hamarawi, collapsing into a happy celebratory pile of bodies. How Hamarawi managed to keep breathing with all the players on top of her, I don't know, but she did look a little groggy when she reappeared. With the goal, Bayern Munich's game plan of looking for a fast counter disappeared, and it was replaced with one in which the players went to ground at every opportunity, looking to draw fouls to be awarded set-piece plays, which is another of their strengths. And time and time again the referee fell for it, awarding free kicks to Bayern for non-existent fouls. The most dangerous came in the 90th minute, when Hamraoui slid in to recover the ball, the Bayern player went down, and a free kick was awarded just outside the box. The shot rattled the crossbar, and that was the closest that Bayern had come to scoring all game. Four nervous minutes of overtime ticked slowly down before the final whistle came. We have an away goal advantage, but come next Sunday Bayern Munich will come with a different game plan. Barca will have to be on their toes and play with confidence from kick-off. It's important that we retain the ball and score first. We can't waste opportunities like we did in Munich. We should have at least had three goals and a penalty shot that wasn't awarded. Last week, Mappy Leon dyed her hair platinum blonde. She now has the nickname Khaleesi, as in the mother of dragons from Game of Thrones. After the match, Mariana Caldente was interviewed on radio. The team has made a pact with manager Luis Cortez that if they win the Champions League, they will all dye their hair platinum blonde. Naturally, I want this to happen very much. For Barca Talk, I'm Michelle Taylor. Visca Barca y Fossa Barca Femini. Support the show on Patreon to receive the Barca Talk Guard of Honor, which is what we're doing right now. This week we're honoring Carlos in Houston. He supports the show at the Barca B tier of $3 a month and has been doing so for many months. So thank you, Carlos, for your continuing support of the show. Please enjoy this paseo. And like I said, you should also support the show on Patreon. You get bonus content, you get discounts on the Barca Talk store, and maybe other things. But those are the main two things. But another way you can help support the show is through our Amazon Marketplace. We have this new, a shiny new Amazon storefront with products that we have curated and selected for you. And you can find that on the website, barsatalk.net. I have actually, I just went on um, sort of a spree. I added the new jersey for next year, the uh, the quilt, the patchwork, I don't know what you'd call it, the, the mosaic jersey that they're uh, going to be using next year. It has something like a little bit of many, many of the recent designs all kind of 
crammed together onto one jersey. And you know, the more I look at it, the more I like it, believe it or not. But anyway, I, I added that along with some other items to the uh, to the new Amazon storefront. What what about you, Gabriel? Um, this week, I've selected a book, uh, Barca, the Illustrated History of FC Barcelona. It is a club-endorsed book about the history of Barcelona, and it's more importantly written by, well, put together by Guillaume Balaguer, who is a correspondent for Sky Sports, but also he is an insider on FC Barcelona. So I thought it'd be pretty cool. I looked at the pictures on it. It looked pretty nice. Makes for a nice coffee table book. But like when I went to the storefront, you did go on a shopping spree. Yeah, I added a bunch (laughs) of stuff. It's like, ooh, we got this new storefront. We can just put things on it. Yeah, because we were having a couple issues before because the things that we were highlighting, you know, some people were having difficulty finding the links and so forth. And now this is so much easier. We just put everything into one, like you said, one store and all the products that we find FCB related. And also I put travel related too as well um, that we'll find. Uh, you can find it there and a little bit will help support the show going forward. Yeah. So just go to barsatalk.net right on the front page. You can find it now. You can just click on it and shop until your heart is content or, you know, until you've, you filled the hole in your heart that consumerism fills. (laughs) (laughs) So enjoy that. Let's talk about La Liga before we talk about Champions League. La Liga is nearing its conclusion. Barcelona have been at the top of the table since match day 14, and we're hoping they can seal it up as soon as possible. The scoreless draw last week against Huesca was a minor hiccup in the proceedings, but they got three points closer against Sociedad with goals from two of our defenders, Clement Longley and Jordi Alba. Now, Real Sociedad did level the score at one goal apiece in the 62nd minute, but then Alba's goal in the 64th minute put Barcelona ahead, and it stayed that way for the win. So while Atletico also won in this match day over uh, Ibar, the point difference remains at nine points with five games remaining in the season. So we are just that much closer to winning La Liga and sealing it up with games in hand. Correct. If we get the next two victories, we basically seal it up. So next Saturday, hopefully, we can seal it up, which would be amazing, right? Um, just to get that out of the way, but and Wednesday again, and Wednesday, yeah, yeah, the two games, yeah. Um, you know, what do you think about this lineup? This was obviously the strongest lineup that we could go, I think, especially well, minus Vidal's, you know, with Busquets, if you would say, right. But um, you know, again, I thought it was interesting to see, you know, how strong we were going to go because I thought, again, Sociedad is a good team, but I think we could handle them with some substitutes. And I just, you know, right now, Brian is, you know, again, you just have to manage the minutes. And I'm still just worried. I'm just worried that he hasn't learned his lesson from last season about managing all these minutes and games that we have coming up. Yeah. Well, as far as the lineup goes, I thought that it's uh, it was it was 10 elevenths of our strongest 11. Right. Of course, sure. Busquets didn't start. Vidal started instead. And Rakitic was playing in the Busquets role. So uh, apart from Vidal, it was our strongest 11 uh, or the, you know, the absence of Busquets really is, is what makes it not quite the strongest 11. And yeah, they looked either disinterested or like they're all getting quite tired. <laughs> One or the I other think, or a little bit of both. Yeah. Hard to a say. A little bit of both. Well, I just want to focus a little bit more on the lineup before we go into that. But really quick with this lineup, if we're going to go with this lineup, I would just switch Vidal and Rakitic, I would just put Vidal back into the Busquets role 
because from what I saw in the papers and everything else, he was um, a little bit higher up the, up the pitch and Rakitic was in the Busquets role more. Um, so again, as we talked about um, Vidal's performance against, um, who was it? Uh, not Manchester United, but Huesca. Huesca, where he was able to, you know, it's an easy, see the... it's an easy thing to mix up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where he was able to see the plays and make really quality tackles and really distribute well. I thought that is his best role. And I thought, you know, in this lineup, if you're going to roll him out, because you know how much Valverde loves Vidal, you know, put him back there so he can see the play develop and help become that battery with PK and Longley. Again, the other thing too, I would just say, you know, it's obviously good to see Dembele get the start. Um, you know, obviously because I think he's more dynamic than Coutinho. I just would have liked to see him play the full 90 um, just to get more legs under him because he needs more minutes to get there just to become that much stronger for the next coming games that we need him for. Yeah, coming back from injury, he needs to – I mean, he's gotten he's gotten minutes now, so it's not – yeah. I don't think we should be too worried about him re-aggravating the same injury, uh, you know, because we're physios. We, <laughs> we have insider knowledge of the – the medicals, but in general, you could say he's, you know, he's come back from injury. He's played minutes. He's looking fine. So at this point he could stand to actually do some more just to really get match fit. Yeah. Yeah. I take your point. Yeah. And it does seem like, I have to say though, I do think Vidal had his best match of the season yes. for me. I, I liked the way he was playing in this game more. He was doing more of the things that I, initially hoped he would do at the beginning of the season he looked basically he looked a little bit more like Paulinho in this game yeah yeah especially with his defensive pressure he was I mean this was definitely one of his better games for sure I just think that you know he's a beast when it comes to tackling when he can read those plays in front of him today you know yesterday yesterday's game he was a little bit higher and he was um, definitely making a, his presence felt with the defensive pressure when we lost the ball you know, because he was in that line with Messi, Coutinho, or Dembele and himself. And so he was going after it. But again, I just, again, I just think he's better used, even though it was his best match. I think he's better used back further in front of Longley and PK. Well, yeah, especially when you're putting Rakitic in that central Busquets style role, you're, he's great because he's Rakitic. He's an incredible player, but I don't think you're maximizing his potential. Correct. He's better when he's out on one of the sides and he's able to get forward and do some playmaking and occasionally get into the box and that sort of thing. The other thing too, is if you put Rakitic on the side, he will link up better with Samedo. Right. You know, uh, you saw that yesterday, you know, they, again, they ignored Samedo's side. I mean, how many times did he have the ball and he was one V three? Most, most times, <laughs> you know, most of the times. Right. And, you know, every, cause most of our play is on the other side of the field. So to have players come running on the other side, you know, you just get lazy, you know, especially if you know that Samedo's is going to pass it back to PK and then PK is going to move it around to the other side. So why even bother running to that side? So that, that happens a lot. But if you have Rakitic to help them, then all of a sudden you have the, you know, 2v3, 2v2, you can link up and use tomato speed down the line. Then all of a sudden that can open up. But again, I was, uh, you know, impressed with their defensive pressure yesterday for sure, for, especially in spots, you know, especially in the first 15 minutes, they definitely look like, you know, um, I don't know, Valverde bribed them with ice cream sundaes afterward if they <laughs> got more than five takeaways or something. Yeah, there's a lot more defensive pressure. We were recovering the ball quickly, starting again. And so Ciudad, they're they're definitely um, a counterattacking team. And, you know, they they came into this match 10th place, you know, a mid-table team, a 
pretty good one. And so as a counter-attacking team, they're solid. So I think it was smart to really make sure to, to put the pressure on and win those balls back. I can't remember the last time we played that type of pressure aggressively from the get-go. I can't remember the last time we did that. I mean, you know, sometimes we do it, you know, we kind of are there where we don't, you know, we're running around and so forth. But last night for that, definitely the first 15, 20 minutes, we looked like that was our goal. That was one of the ideas that they had worked on. Everyone was on the same page because how many interceptions they had, they were really good at anticipating the passes that were going to happen. And we got the ball recovered so many times early that I hadn't seen that type of pressure. Now, if we play this type of pressure against a Liverpool, then all of a sudden that gives us a clear, not a clear advantage, an advantage that definitely negates their counter and their speed. Yeah. So maybe they're just gearing up for that and trying to Could be. work out the uh, work out the kinks with that kind of strategy. Sure. sure. Yeah. Now, how how did you feel about uh, Luis Suarez in this match? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, <laughs> big you know, sigh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, oh. this is the type. This is the type of match where you just give him the night off. I mean, why is he there? You know, like he wasn't interested. You know, um, a bunch of times he didn't make simple passes. I even tweeted this, and it was funny because I said he never makes a simple pass, right? And then as soon as he, I tweeted that he made one simple pass, right? <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, like you know, his he did a couple things well right? A couple of things like he, the way he's able to hold the ball against the defender on his back is great. But then the follow through of that play, Brian, to just make the simple pass back to retain possession, he just like loses focus and he just cannot do that. Now, again, I'm just going to read you his line from last night. Okay. Okay. So he was dispossessed four times. He was offside three times. He had 32 total passes. 21 of them were accurate. One shot on target and four arguments to the ref. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's been really combative with refs lately. He's always been like that, man. Yeah, he but just, like I, more than before. And that thing's annoying because, you know, he is not being fouled on every play. That's just the way he plays. He's physical and obviously the defenders are going to be more you know physical with him as well. But again, the ref is trying to watch everything. He does his best. I mean, he does usually call everything. But man, Suarez's arguments lately are just been, cro- you know, creeping towards the line of getting the yellow. Exactly, exactly. He's really tempting, uh, tempting fate there. But yeah. also arguing with the ref is it's part of it. Yeah, it's part I mean, of that's the, the whole, whole part of his whole thing. Yeah, it's correct. Like you gotta you you play hard. You get you get the foul, or at least you know you get into this physical situation, and then you complain to the ref. That's the whole process. You know, if you don't complain to the ref. What are you even doing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're not going to get the foul calls that you're looking for if you don't. Yeah, and I would say, like, the highlight that Luis Suarez did was, you know, obviously he helped with the pressing. But other than that, he was non-existent as a striker, as a number nine up there. He really didn't bring anything. Now, Brian, I don't know if you know this, but throughout football, basically, you know, the first usual sub used to be, or usually is, the striker. Right. Okay? Just because – they just do more sprints. They get tired out quicker. And obviously putting in another striker, fresh one, is going to give you an advantage for the last 10 minutes because the other team is tired. Now, I don't understand why Valverde doesn't implement this this tactic because especially with the speed of Dembele or Malcolm, that's definitely an advantage that we would have. Or if you even just put Prince for the last 10 minutes, his physicality hopefully could balance that out. But I just don't understand why... Suarez has to play the full 90. 
you know, especially in like last night's match where he wasn't really doing anything, just preserve him, you know, he, you know, I attribute to him almost like a running back, Brian, where he is so physical. He gets so many tic tacs on his ankles. He's always on the ground and so forth. And it takes a toll on you throughout the season. And it's just, just sub him every other game for 10 minutes is going to help him a lot. And then obviously it's going to help him be more consistent during the playing times that he is playing because like, for example, tonight, last night was just a match where he was just basically just trying to get through. If he scored great, if we want awesome, but he wasn't really going to go into third gear or fourth gear. No, certainly not. And if you look at the subs, two of them were midfielders and only one of them was for a forward when Coutinho came on for Dembele. That's the other thing, you know, and again, you know, people on, on Twitter were going, you know, why is Dembele coming out? And, you know, I was joking around. I was like, because Valverde wants someone more dynamic. <laughs> but um, like you said, you know, more midfield. Again, uh, Valverde is always just looking to be more conservative in these last 10 minutes when, especially just throughout the match, you know, just it could have been one. You know, if we just maybe gone on to third gear you know, a couple of times, maybe we could have scored two more goals. And that definitely puts the match out of hand where you could use the younger players, develop them, maybe put, um, you know, Alenia, for example. I don't know. I just, I just feel though we have a really good bench, Brian, we should be able to utilize it. It helps preserve players. And especially with all these competitions, it's just a no brainer. And I just continue to see Valverde just holding on to the same 13 players. Yeah. And with Suarez, this might even go back to a basic question about the lineup for this match because yet again, it was a really good opportunity to give Malcolm a start and he got zero minutes in this game. And looking at the bench, you know, Busquets came on for Arthur, uh, which I, I can understand, I suppose, because yeah, at that point we're tied at one goal. Maybe you want to put in Busquets for a little more, I don't know, solidity in what he provides in linking up the defense with the attack in maintaining possession in distributing and that sort of thing. I guess I can understand that. Although I was again, uh, a little dismayed that Arthur didn't get to play the full 90. And then, I mean, putting Sergio Roberto in for Vidal in the 90th minute, that was purely just a, a stalling substitution. But looking at the bench of the guys who didn't get to play, the ones that really stick out for me are Malcolm and Alenia. Yeah. I mean, I just, again, we've been talking about this. It's just, it, it baffles me just because, you know, you could clearly see with Dembele out there how fast he was and how slow Sociedad's back line was. So just use a fresher person in Malcolm. And then if you need to break the glass in case of safety, bring in Suarez off the bench. But honestly, I think it really, I mean, Imagine, you know, you have a player out there, Malcolm, that's completely trying as hard as he can at all times for this match as composed to Luis Suarez. Then all of a sudden that brings the play of that attacking. He's going to be looking for his goals and keep going for that. Whereas Suarez has looked really comfortable and he just, it was like a Sunday stroll for him. You know, he just didn't want to get hurt. He was going to make a couple plays here and there. And that, that was about it. You know, that's his goal. And I get that. That's perfectly fine because he's preserving himself. But if you see that, Valverde has got to make those decisions and just manage the team. We have a good bench. It's not as though there's a complete drop-off from, you know, Dembele to an amateur player. No, no. Yeah, it's it's very close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we have an excellent bench. Yeah. And we, we would like for him to use other parts of the bench. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, put Sillison in for Ter Stegen just because, but, <laughs> but you could. But, yeah. But that, but the thing is, is, you know, when you do this for the last 10 minutes in a match, especially at home, Brian, the team is not going to give up the lead. We don't just give up leads. You know, no. we're not all of a sudden, if we change that player for Alenia, for example, you're telling me that all of a sudden, you know, we're going to lose two goals in that sense situation. No. no, but also it's just like giving the player a chance to make his name, but also more importantly, Brian, you're just conserving minutes. You know, how many minutes are all these players playing throughout the season? And as we saw last year, it's super important to maintain and manage them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now we the two goals that we got both came from defenders. I think this yeah. is I think this was a unique game in that because the first goal we got from Longley mm-hmm. and the second goal from Alba and I was it was great honestly because I really thought that Alba was going to try and pass it off to, you know, a more traditional goal scorer, but he just he had the space, he had the angle, he took it and it was really well taken. So that was really fun. Um and it was the first goal for Longley in La Liga and Jordi Alba's second goal this season, the first one he scored uh, back against uh, Huesca, actually, earlier in the season, the first <laughs> first leg against Huesca. So that was really nice. But what can we say about the PK Longley defensive partnership in this game? I mean, they continue to just be super solid, you yeah. know? Uh, I mean, I, just, I, I think with more, you know, with every game that passes, I'm just even more impressed with Longley because – I really didn't have any expectations of him playing that much because I just assumed Umtiti was going to play and be the starter. But, you know, Brian, I mean, the not only did he... turned. Yeah, yeah. But not only did he score in this match, which was awesome, but him and PK, you know, they're just so fluid together. And I don't know, if, you know, obviously I think it has something to do with PK not playing with the Spanish national team. He looks as fresh as ever. I mean, I remember a couple of matches or a couple, of, you know, maybe in the last years where he would get burned on counters more often than not. And now that's not happening as often. I think he has more juice in the tank, and I think he's definitely, you know, always been a, a cerebral defender, so that's always been with him. But now with Longley and him, they have a really nice partnership. And, you know, let's. I just want to read these stats out for you because they're just – they're just golden, Brian. So PK stats, two aerials, one, two saves. So that's, the, you know, when you go down to ground, basically. Yeah. One successful tackle, three interceptions, and six clearances. And for long lay, this is just a thing of beauty. Five aerials, one, yeah. two saves, one successful tackle, four interceptions, six clearances, a goal, and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah. So that's 12 <laughs> clearances between the two yeah, of them. Exactly. So, and that's just anything of just clearing it outside the bounds for a corner or whatever, but still like, it just shows the, you know, the partnership, how that's working really well. And, you know, I'm really confident that they're going to perform well against, you know, more important. Now I'm just like focused on the Liverpool match because that's really the thing that we're gearing and using these matches kind of for. So I'm confident that we'll play well. And also just the way Longley is playing He's been definitely the, the most surprising player for me for this season. Yeah, yeah, and the probably the most uh, bang-for-buck player mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we, we got him for a really good, really good deal. And I think mainly because of that and his youth and, the, you know, he did play well for Sevilla, which is great, but we all kind of expected that he would be be, be playing second fiddle to MTT. And at first he was, of course – Umtiti had his uh, injury issues and that required Longley to step up. But, you know, a lot of times in those situations, the the player who has to step up, he's doing his best, 
but he you know he isn't quite at the level. But Longley has just risen to the occasion. He has risen to the level, and he's showing that he he's a world class center back. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's getting there. You know. Yeah. And the other thing too is like think about take the Via Real match out of this, but think about the last ten matches and our defense. You know, we really haven't given up these counter goals that we used to do as much last season or the last couple of seasons. I think a lot of these goals are kind of been fluky too. Like, you know, last night's goal wasn't just a clear counter. It was kind of a, the ball came through the box and he hit it and it, and it kind of with the traffic, Ter Stegen couldn't see it and it went in. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a clear attacking opportunity where they kind of just worked it around the box and left us in the dust. It's never been like that. So for me, that's really promising because that just shows, you know, how, you know, they've been playing together as a line, you know, all four of them, not just PK and Longley, but obviously PK and Longley captain that line and also working in conjunction with Ter Stegen. Again, Ter Stegen for me, again, we never talk about him and that's a good thing, obviously, but again, it just can't be unnoticed of like what he does back there and, you know, how vital he has been in directing those two and also just being a, sh- a shot stopper, essentially. I mean, they had a couple of shots and he has to make those saves to continue to keep us in the game and to get those victories. Yeah, he made two great saves in this yeah. game. Yeah. But also, uh, speaking of the, the schedule going forward, of course, Liverpool is the big thing that we want to be worrying about in the Champions League. We've mentioned how the remaining La Liga schedule for Barcelona is pretty light. The next one is going to be on Tuesday against Alaves, and then we have Levante. And then after the first leg against Liverpool, we'll play Celta. And then after the second leg against Liverpool, we'll play Getafe, Aibar. And then on the final match day of La Liga, we have Valencia. And with all of those matches in between now and, and Valencia, we should be able to seal up the league and we can just we can start a full, you know, Todibo, Murillo. Uh, yeah. Who else? You know. We could start all Alenia, Vidal, all of those guys against Valencia on the last match day if if we wanted to. Yeah, because that will uh, hopefully all go before the Champions League final. Yep. Yep. But yeah, it's a pretty, pretty easy schedule and we should be able to seal it all up. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we're we're at Alaves and then we're at home against Levante and then at home against Liverpool. So, you know. The, I'm I'm sure the Saturday match is going to be really, I hope to be a goleada to get some confidence and to get that going for Liverpool. But again, like you said, we should be able to wrap it up also psychologically just to have the La Liga title in the bag will just give us that much more confidence to not worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And then we can focus on the Champions League and the Correct. Copa del Rey final. Correct. Now, speaking of Champions League, let's talk about the midweek match against Manchester United. So this was on, what was it? That was the Tuesday match. Yeah. I remember it because on Wednesday I was watching the, uh, just keeping track of the other ones to see what would happen. And very happy to see Ajax go through, but that's more of a, more of a side comment. In terms of this match, Manchester United came to the Camp Nou down a goal, no clear prospects for how they might score in this away leg for them. They put pressure on in the opening minutes, but then Messi scores in the 16th minute and there was an immediate fall off in pressure from United and they pretty much gave the the game to Barcelona after that Messi really sealed it shut in the 20th minute with a second goal and then of course Coutinho scored his cracker of a shot to make the match 3-0 and the aggregate 4-0 
So we're on to the semifinal against another Premier League team in Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, this is this was a game that we controlled for the you know for about ninety minutes. I think the first ten minutes, Manchester United gave us a bit of a scare, but again, their lack of clinical finishing, you know, did did nothing for them. So, you know, they hit the post on that one shot, and I think also we were just kind of sleepwalking, just trying to get started because we thought we were going to get into the game as opposed to going right after it. Right. And, you know, you got to give Manchester United credit from the first 10 minutes, but then after that they faded and we just took control of the match. So again, uh, it's funny to see all the Manchester United fans, especially on Twitter and social media saying, you know, uh, if we would have scored that first goal in the first 10 minutes, it would have been different. I think if anything, it just would have woken us up sooner and we would have been more on top of our attacking but again, I was never worried about Manchester United's scoring just because they just lack that killer instinct. You know, they're, you know, especially in these matches, Brian, in Champions League, when you have two chances, you got to convert on one of them, especially when you're 1v1, you know, you, you're not going to get those many opportunities. You know, who knows what the game could have changed. You know, I still think Barcelona would have won if, if Manchester scored in those first 10 minutes. However, Again, that's the difference between the eliteness of Barcelona and the averageness of Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that if Manchester United had scored in the first 10 minutes, it would have been even worse for them. They would have lost 5-1 just in that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like, why wake up the beast? Right, because this is Champions League, man. And yeah. Messi is up for it. He got two, yeah. He got the two goals in this game. Yeah. In fact, yeah. What, were his, what were his overall stats here? Yeah, so his overall stats were seven total shots, three shots on goal, two goals, obviously, six dribbles, one. So that means dribbling past the defender and obviously the man of the match. So, again, just the conversion of these shots and goals is just remarkable. You know, what can you say? I mean, Messi was obviously plugged in. Uh, The first goal, Brian, though, was magic. Yeah, and and hard work and skill. Yeah. (laughs) It was everything, you know, it's everything you would want, right? You would, if you were teaching, if you were coaching a kid, you would say, this is the goal where you do everything, where hard work pays off, right? Yeah. You, 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 you defend first, you win the ball, you make your maximum effort to hustle to get to the ball. You not make a the, guy. <laughs> you not make a guy, Fred, sorry, Fred, you not make Fred. And then also when he nutmegged him, he was completely open in the middle and you knew what was coming, right? You knew it. You oh knew yeah. It. You've seen it over 50 times. Yeah. Well over 50 <laughs> times. Like you're this, I mean, it's messy scores in that situation. Correct. Correct. And you just knew, especially with like, it was like the party of the red sea in that moment. Right. Because since Suarez was still in the middle there, the defender couldn't jump him so quickly. So that gave him the space and obviously messy with the not, you know, the nice curling shot around De Gea. And again, it's just brilliance uh, from start to finish. And that puts us up one nothing. From that moment on, Brian, I was like, this is over. Because especially it was scored so early. And the way it happened, it, it was a beautiful goal by Messi. Yeah. Now, do you think that De Gea could have saved it at all? Was it, was it no. even savable? No. 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 It was that good. Because the thing is, you know, when you're in a goal in that position, you have to plan for every shot, right? Top left, top right, bottom left, bottom corner. If you're a tall goalie, they've always taught you to go to ground to when you shoot against them because it's more difficult for them to go to ground. But Messi's calculus, you know, every, you know, I don't, it has math angles and everything are just impressive because if you look at the goal, 
the way it's accurately curls around De Gea and comes back into the into the post is just a thing of beauty and it's unsavable. De Gea is a long keeper, you know, he's not just any other keeper and so best keeper in the world. Yeah. And he Hashtag was unable to <laughs> and he was unable to save it. So again, it's just unsavable. Messi just knows the geometry of that where it is an impossibility for a goalkeeper. Yeah. Now there was the second goal where De Gea actually had it. Yeah. Uh, But it's just slipped underneath him, which was um, a disappointment for him. And we both had the same idea right afterwards, which we we texted (laughs) each other. (laughs) Best goalkeeper in the world. But honestly, that could have happened to, to anyone. You know, it's just one of those fluky things where you go in the right direction, you're going to ground, you're on top of it, and it just, you know, slips under you. These things happen. So disappointment for De Gea but another great goal from Messi. Sure. I mean, taking away the the save and the shot, I would say everything else was still a glorious, you know, uh, development of goal, you know, Messi, the way he was able to go past defenders in that moment, get the spacing, you know, I want Messi to go right more often, you know, and last night, Sociedad game, he had an opportunity where he was basically one V one with someone. And if he would have taken that guy, right, he had so much real estate, but he did his patented little right to the left and they read it. And it was a, a play that didn't happen. But with this, you know, I wish he would shoot a little bit more with his right because it is open because the defenders shade his left. And, you know, he obviously didn't get the best shot off, but it was enough. And sometimes it's good to be lucky. Yeah. And I mean, his, his left foot is made of solid gold, Yes, but his right foot is still pretty good. You know, it's yeah, silver at least. Of course. Or, of course. Or maybe then it's platinum. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sterling silver. <laughs> no, but I mean, he has, he still has a great right foot. And I remember, uh-huh. was it last season or the season before he had scored a lot with his right foot. And it seems like lately he's, he's just really been favoring his left more than his right, but he still has a killer right foot. If he would go onto it now and then he would have just that many more goals. Not that I'm disappointed with how many goals he's scored because he's continuing to set records and hit minimum goal numbers for the, what 10th consecutive year of 40 yeah i mean his stats are still still off the charts so i'm certainly not complaining about his goal output this year but he could have more actually if he i think if he went to his right now and then i mean this is the thing especially in the tightest matches he has to take that right just to get a goal right because we may never have you know the opportunities are going to be more limited the thing is you know everyone has the tape on him they're going to shade him to the left. He still can beat them, right? He still can beat them. But he still, I want him to use the right just a little bit more just to have that on tape so people can have a count, you know, so he has a counter to that counter. And I also think he can also get more shots off goal. You know, as a left footer, obviously, I would always prefer to break in like he's doing to get onto your left and hit that. But again, you know, when you have an opportunity, the defender's shading you on the left, just take him. Just to, especially with Messi's dribbling ability, yeah, he could be able to take anyone to the right and just continue and just get a shot off. Right, like you know who I am. Yeah, exactly. I'm Leo Messi. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Thank you, Leo, for another great, another great game and two great goals. Yeah. So we were mentioning, well, we were talking about more the controversy, if you can call it that, about Coutinho's goal celebration. But let's talk about his actual performance in this game, including that very nice goal he scored. Yeah, so let, let's let's talk about the goal first. So obviously, that's the patented Coutinho goal, you know, where he was able to break 
inside the middle and get a really nice shot off. It's unsavable as well. Really great accuracy and power. De Gea was fully outstretched and Coutinho was able to hit it past him. Now that happened for a couple of reasons, you know, because Messi wasn't in that area. Suarez was pushing up a little bit. So Coutinho had that space. And so you kind of have to have this perfect situation, Brian, of Messi not being in the center to clog it up for him. And also Suarez pushing up the middle, which doesn't happen very often in this in this formation. And so Coutinho was able to utilize that space and and get a really nice shot off. So it was a really golasso, Brian. It was yeah, a really nice well, it golasso. was a little out of the ordinary for Coutinho because when he got the ball, he was already halfway to or even more. He was almost exactly where he wanted it to be. Yeah. All he had to do was control it one more touch and then shoot whereas more often than not he's a little bit further up and further out a little closer to the touchline and then he has to go through this whole process of trying to cut in and beat a defender and get the space and now everyone has his number on that move because they know he wants to shoot from roughly the corner of the penalty box and so everyone knows how to shut that down but in this case he was essentially already there and he was open so Messi gives him the ball on all he had to do was control, turn, one more touch, and then he had the shot off. So he was, I think if they could work out a way tactically to get him into that position before passing him the ball, he could actually score more goals with that shot. Because when he has it and when he's open, he can place it like incredibly well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's just about Messi, right? So it's oh, almost no. as though it's, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's almost as though it's like a Messi no-look pass, essentially, because like in basketball, because he basically had two or three defenders around him. So when that happened, he didn't try to go forward anymore. He used the pass to break that press. And obviously Coutinho controlled it and had a nice shot. So you have a good point there. Maybe that's what needs to happen. But you know how much Messi loves to dribble up the middle and tries to take people on. So And he's so good at it. Well, he is very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is this is always going to be the debate of letting Messi, how much do you let him go into the middle that affects other players, especially Coutinho's uh, goal outage. So, um, But again, I, I would have preferred to see Dembele in this match to start, especially since he was healthy. Um, I just obviously, you know, my feelings about Dembele, I just think he's so dynamic. And especially with his speed, I thought it would give Manchester United more problems than Coutinho, but Valverde went with him um, again. I just want more from a signing, you know, of this magnitude. Again, his stats, one shot, one goal. Great. That's awesome. But he was dispossessed two times, pass accuracy, 85. But most of those passes, Brian, were back. And if you look at his heat map, which is, you know, I know you don't, you know, you have to take the credence with the heat map, I understand. But it gives you overall, you know, what they're moving. And his two hottest spots were the corner kick, where he had five corner kicks, okay, and about halfway between the penalty box and the midline. So as you can see, like he's still kind of in that hybrid midfield forward. And again, it just shows that he's just lost. He kind of reminds me of, you know, a robotic vacuum that's just running around the room, but doesn't have any direction. Right. Yeah. Like like a Roomba. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a way to combine Coutinho and Roomba. Coutimba. Yeah, yeah, no. there you go. Kutimba. Kutumtu. Nah, never mind. Routinho. I'm leaving this in the show, by the way. Routinho. <laughs> I'm not editing this out. <laughs> Routinho. Yeah, Routinho. There you go. Routinho. <laughs> Good. Thank you. But ideally, wouldn't you want, you, Gabriel, in you yes. in particular, 
Wouldn't you want to see his heat map more hot along the touchline? Like the the sideline. Yeah. I I would love to see it a perfect L. Yeah. Right. So he is, because again, we talked about this. One of the things that Malcolm and Dembele do on the right side when they're there is they use the touchline. And when you use that touchline, the defense has to go all the way down. And all of a sudden you give space to your midfield where they can actually get a shot off. But if you are just going to the penalty box extended, the midfield is still far away that there's no, there's going to be no shot available. It's just too far. So again, I would love to see a perfect L where Coutinho is utilizing that touchline. And if he back passes to Alba out of that, that's fine. But you're moving the defense down the line and getting crowded with the goalkeeper. Therefore, Suarez can get a chance maybe. And also maybe Rakitic could get a shot off or Artur can get a shot off from being on top of the box. Right, right. Now, you have a note here that is a little cryptic to me. <laughs> I I felt when I was reading down the breakdown for the episode, I felt like, okay, I get that. But yeah. now that I look at it, what is second gear? I mean, I just think that we played in second gear for most of this match. I and see. also, okay. yeah, yeah. We, yeah, and we, also, we, we, weren't really, we weren't really revving up the engine in correct. this match. Correct. But we didn't need to, though. I know. I know. I understand this. And I, and also in the associated match, we have, you know, we've done a good job of picking and choosing when to pick the moments where we have to score and take the game. Like for example, Sociedad scores two minutes later, we score. Right. But also it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a fluke goal is we went down tic-tac-toe passing. Right. And that's what happened too in this Manchester United game. You know, we got the first 10 minutes. We were like, we kind of laughed it off a little bit. We're like, okay, like calm down, calm down, you know? Right. where I was like, this is how it's done, you know? (laughs) Easy. (laughs) And then again, obviously it's an absolute luxury to have a player like Messi in the team where he just does a play like that and makes that goal. But again, for the most part, after the second goal, you know, it was pretty much game set Guillermo. We were able to cruise, you know, Uh, Manchester United really didn't have any opportunities going forward. And that's what I'm saying is that, Again, I don't know how good or bad this is because obviously ratchet it up for the Liverpool match. That is going to be a very intense match. It's a team that can finish. And also it's a team that scares the sh- out of me. Yeah. Thank you for not making me uh, bleep, bleep that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, they're definitely the scariest team we have faced in the Champions yeah. League so far. Yeah, We've gotten some sort of... Not easy, but, you know, some not terribly difficult draws so far. Sure. We weren't in the toughest group by any stretch. And so now we're finally going up against some really stiff competition in Liverpool. And so talking about the Manchester United match and about Arthur, the fact that for some reason um, Valverde keeps pulling him. He keeps, you know, not letting Arthur play all 90 and when Arthur came off in this particular match, Vidal came on for him. And <laughs> we had we had been dominating the ball up until this yeah. point. You know, minus those first 10 minutes where it was a little scrappy, Manchester were coming at us pretty hard. After that, we were owning the game, we were possessing the ball, and Arthur had a lot to do with that. His coolness, his ability to possess, his ability to pass and move was part of how we were just owning the ball and really dominating possession. Then in the 75th minute, Vidal comes on, and everything gets a little bit shakier. 
We just we aren't possessing the ball as strongly. We were we were in cruise control at this point, definitely. But then again, Vidal comes on, Arthur comes off, Manchester United has some glimpses of being able to maybe work something out, and I just really felt like we weren't owning the ball anymore after that point. So against Liverpool, I think it's imperative that Arthur plays all 90 minutes. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Again, my my whole hypothesis with this is, you know, there is something Basque that Valverde loves about the physical midfielder. Okay. Sure. And I just think I think that is such a old way of thinking. You know, you don't, as we've seen throughout Barca, you don't always need physicality to be a great midfielder, right? You don't need to be six four and super fast. I would, you know, as we saw with Xavi and Iniesta, I know that they're magical players, but I'm just saying, you know, with their physical stature, the way Artur is able to possess the ball is something that cannot be overstated. It is something that is very difficult to do. And he does it with such ease, especially at the age that he's doing it and the way he fits in. Now, obviously right now, as you saw in the Sociedad match too, he's starting to take more chances with through balls, which is another dynamic thing that he's going to bring. But Again, if we have the ball, Manchester doesn't have the ball. Therefore, no goals. Right. And that is ultimately a philosophy that is ingrained in Barcelona, which I don't understand with Valverde trying to do the substitution. As we talked about, Vidal is a good enough player to be a Barcelona sub. And if you're going to utilize him, utilize him in the role of Busquets or pair him with Busquets to be defenders out there and really shut everything down. But don't put him on the wing where he's karate chopping everyone, missing the ball. Super flying. Yeah, super fly snooker. (laughs) He's a loose cannon out there. He's getting a yellow card right off the bat. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Why make it sloppy? Because if you make it sloppy, it puts an EPL team right in there because that's the style they play. They play sloppy because they're used to that. They're used to the back and forth. And that is where they have an advantage over Barcelona because that's not the style we play. Right. And it was just like in the first leg where they – they were kind of sucking Barcelona into playing their game and, and Barcelona suffered for it, even though they did get the goal. And it was just sort of lucky for them that, that United didn't really have any strong attacking prospects and they didn't score. But at least at the Camp Nou, for the most part, we were playing our game or Barcelona was playing their game. And if anything, they were kind of sucking United into trying to play that game, which they're not great at. Correct. So that worked out really well. But yeah, the, yeah, just Vidal. It's I, I take a, your point exactly. You know, if you're gonna put him in, and if you're gonna put him in for Arthur, make it a tactical change as well, where he and Busquets are now locking down some kind of defensive thing rather than putting him out outside on the wing. Yeah, I think I think it would be better, and it would play more to Vidal's strengths. Exactly, and then he would be we would be a even more locked down defense because. If you put Busquets more about the right and Vidal on the left in front of the four, you know, as a defensive stronghold, that's really strong, really strong. Because not only do you have Busquets only playing half of the field, but you have Vidal on the other half and Vidal knows how to read it. But, you know, again, I don't, Valverde is just in love with this physical type of midfielder because I think he thinks that's how you close a game out. Right. Right. And obviously there's other ways to skin a cat. And I, I just prefer to have, our tour play the full match, you know, use your speed on the bench because that is going to scare defense, not a physical midfielder like Vidal. Right. Agreed. 
Thank you. <laughs> Vote for me as manager of the year next year. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know, Brian, you know, we're on a good trajectory. We're doing well. We just, I, like I always say to you, you know, when we're texting and we were here in Barcelona and so forth, there's just an easier way to do it and just go with the easier way. That's not only easy, but also more free flowing football. Yeah. Well, also, you know, there's a, a strange thing that happens when you have a podcast about FC Barcelona. It, it starts to become kind of part of your job to <laughs> find things to complain about. Yeah, that is true. That is true. <laughs> just, but also, it just sort of happens. Thing, you don't. Yeah, mean, but the other, you, you know, the to. other. I know, I know. But the other thing too with the podcast too is that you know, since we are watching so many matches, we are you know we're diving into a lot of things. We kind of get a better pulse of what's going on and what could be you know what we see from afar. Which I don't understand how he doesn't see that, especially with the experts he has around him. You know, just make it easy. It doesn't always have to be so difficult. Yeah. Well. I could say from my own perspective of the, the sort of projects that I've been working on uh, apart from the podcast in my um, in my artistic life lately, I was just thinking about this yesterday, how, you know, I keep falling into the same habits. I, I keep doing the I keep say, making the same mistakes every time I start a new project and I always run into the same thing. So I've just sort of accepted that as part of the process and a sports season it has to be just a grueling thing and you know there's always another match coming up you always you never quite have i would imagine you never quite have enough time to really reflect and really reassess you're kind of always in the midst of of something and we would hope that that Valverde would maybe have some time here and there to maybe say like oh well what if i what if I re-examined all of this? But, you know, he's a professional. He's been doing this for many years. And he, he certainly is, just like anyone in his position, is going to be, he's going to have his habits, right? I mean, even we've talked about Pep and and how he has this kind of, this very almost artistic, visionary aspect to him where, you know, he, he allows Manchester City to to fall because they have ultimately kind of like a soft center. And sometimes he doesn't just get down and dirty and get a result. Whereas Valverde does. He lacks that pep artisanal thing, but what he does get is some results. And he has his habits. He just, he's been doing this for a long time and it's hard to get out of those habits for, for anyone. And uh, I'm I'm just speaking from personal experience there. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's just, you know, when you, when you build a coaching staff or a bench, you hope to have, you know, not only all yes men, you want to have people that are going to be thinking a little bit differently, maybe sometimes outside the boxes to give you a different perspective on things. Now, I just, I think that, you know, obviously you cannot argue with his results, especially in La league. It's been very impressive in the last two years. But again, you know, there's also something to it that you can just put maybe 10% more art- artistry into the football and also just use the bench and everyone's going to be pretty much happy. Right. I mean, this is the thing. No one's ever going to say you're using the bench too much, tighten it up. You know, right, that rarely right. happens in football, especially, you know, if you're a team that's mid table, let's say you're a Raya Viacano, for example, and you're using your bench a lot, then you're going to complain because there's quite a drop off. But in Barcelona, the drop off is not as big. We want to see the development of the young players. And we want to just see the preservation of our top players going through these tournaments all season long. Right. Um, you want to know a fun stat about Artur? Tell me. 
guess how many games he has played the full 90 minutes in this season in all competitions. 0.0. Four. Oh, wow. And they've all been in the Copa del Rey. He's gone as far as 87, 88 minutes in the Champions League and in the La Liga, but the only games he's played all 90 minutes in have been in the Copa del Rey's, and those were in the... Early, probably. Well, semifinal first leg, he did all 90 minutes against Real Madrid. So we know he has it in him. Yeah, he's a professional footballer. I mean, he's been playing his (laughs) 90 minutes all his life, essentially, so it's not nothing new. And especially just, again... I mean, we've talked about this. How much more comfortable do you feel when he's out there because he's able to change the direction of the attack from left, middle to right, you know? And when he's on there, he's always thinking about that. Whereas if you put anyone else, for example, Vidal, Vidal's just thinking out there to not screw up, make tackles, and just link the ball up. He doesn't want it. He's not thinking to possess and to keep um, the attack going to the other side. So, again... Just just wrap these two games up. That's all I want now, Brian. Just let's just wrap these two games up coming up. Let's win La Liga, get that in the bag, and then just one hundred and fifty percent focus on Champions League. Yes, and on that, that is the perfect opportunity for us to wrap up this episode. Thanks to Michelle Taylor this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing by Brian Henderson, music by Brian Henderson and Johannes Brahms. Social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Support the show through Patreon, the Amazon Marketplace, and the Barca Talk merchandise store, all to be found at barsatalk.net. Until next time, Visca Barca. Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 